This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 467 for July 29th, 2015. We're brought to you this week by Red Hat. Ahoy, everyone. This is senior contributor Glenn Fleischman for Macworld. And uh, we're in the doldrums of summer, and yet there is news. Uh, The technology world never sleeps now. There is no vacation for the weary workers, whether on the journalism side or the people making stuff. And joining me this week to talk about what's going on is Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Hello, Susie. Ahoy there. Ahoy, matey. It's How are time. you? Alasji. Alasji, the current sea is rising. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> this is the time of year that I uh, traditionally think about things slowing down because people take vacations and uh, companies plan their major releases for when people are paying attention and media is on duty and so forth. And uh, there's one publication I, I write for in the UK where I think everyone is on vacation. <laughs> I'm trying to email editors like, I'm off here, I'm off there, because, you know, they get six, seven weeks, vacation, whatever, five, six weeks vacation off. And, uh, and yet the technology world, uh, there is no sleep. There is no rest. It's been a very big week here because our good friends at PC World are uh, covering the launch of Windows 10. So they have their review out and tons and tons of other stuff. And then um, our friends at Greenbot um, yesterday covered yes. the launch of the OnePlus 2, which is not the stupidest name for an Android phone. There are stupider <laughs> ones, but the OnePlus 2... Which sounds like a math problem, but it's actually a, a handset, I believe they call it, um, is, is out. And then today there's there's some Motorola event that Flo had to get up at like 6 a.m. to cover. So, yes, technology never stops. I sort of wish it would pause for a little bit. But there's even stuff going on in the Apple world. Is there? Well, it's funny that, uh, gosh, leasing Microsoft Windows uh, in the middle of summer seems weird, except I think it's a great strategy because <laughs> they're trying, I mean, right, they're trying to set expectations, right? I hear great things about Windows 10. I actually, I'm going to say this, honestly, I can't wait to install it. I have a virtual machine. I don't know if I'll get a new laptop to test it out on or I'll run it in a virtual machine, but uh it just sounds like they're doing so much right. There's some things I don't like what I sound, but it's, you know, this is a, a evolution in the way that Windows 8 was actually a really good evolution. It's really good uh, move away from from Vista and 7. Um, 8 was a good release and uh, and 10 would be too. But I expect they want it, you know, it's in the corporate world. Like, you know, we're Apple users. We're like, hey, OS 10 public beta. We'll just install that, you know, or, oh, you know, the release came out. Just hit upgrade and, you know, and, and within a few months, like 50 or 70% of people people with supported machines have upgraded, right? And in the Windows world, it's like, oh, we're a corporation. It'll be like in 10 years, we'll have migrated 40% of our computers because we built stuff that breaks. I mean, that's why XP is still there is because they built stuff that requires like old ActiveX things. They're like, we wrote the software once. We're not going to rewrite it like every few years. You're kidding me. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. It's been in beta for a while. They've had this insider program where you can get, you know, near nightly builds, it sounds like, of, of Windows 10. So they've been it's working good. on it. And, uh, yeah, the, the guys at PC World really like it a lot. I want, but I want I'm, a little, I'm a little nervous that you finally got your, your computer sounding good when we Skype each other. And now you're going to put Windows 10 in a virtual machine. I'll put it, it. into the box. I'll put it in a, in a lock box off to okay, the side. It won't be running. Oh, uh, So last week uh, we recorded in inconvenient time for Apple Financials. Uh, so that's been well covered, but I thought we'd talk about it just a little bit because uh, for folks who don't follow it as intensively as, as some do, uh, Apple produced you know another quarter that uh, uh, hilariously was fantastic, and yet the analysts 
didn't meet the analysts' made-up numbers. So because it met Apple's <laughs> guidance, right? Apple provides their guidance, and then the the analysts do they, their thing. And but I think ex- Apple beat their own numbers. Yeah, they do. But the analysts make up numbers based on. I mean, this is the thing: is <laughs> it's difficult for some some companies. So this is, I think, why Apple and some other firms are really hard to track. Is for some company like Google produced this unexpected um, huge profit, and their stock went soaring because they had been kind of poking along. And um, it's very hard to figure out exactly how much money Google makes because so much of it. Is is totally internal to advertising, which is advertising is the very biggest part of the money that Google makes. And it's just hard to read the tea leaves. Now, Apple ships products, but because they sell so much through the Apple store and their own stores, it's, again, very difficult. So they, you know, some analysts will actually hire people to stand outside stores and count to see if they can figure out uh, how many people are leaving with, like, watches or iPads when they come out. Uh, they'll talk to component makers and try to track things, but Apple sometimes buys the entire component yield from a factory or they impose strict security and sometimes it sticks. There's no way to know, right? So so the numbers that analysts come up with for Apple versus say like if you look at something like a, let's say you're trying to figure out how much a Target sells in a year. Well, Target uses point of sales systems. They have all these suppliers. The, the suppliers are often publicly traded companies. Target is publicly traded. They have to give guidance because as a retailer, whatever, you can go into stores and do spot observation. There are things that extract information from point of sales systems that track sales tax payments. Like there's actual numbers you can get. So when you estimate target sales as an analyst, you can come up with something that might be pretty good. And if it was missed, you'd be like, wow, they hid this huge loss. For Apple, it's like, well, <laughs> we figure based on this, they're probably gonna, and you're like, all right, all right. So anyway, so Apple missed imaginary numbers, but did very well. Um, and, you know, I think the big concern it remains that the uh, iPad, uh, you know, certainly it's the same concern that's been going on for a while is that it's the one say like not bright sight a, a bright star in its firmament is that it is not uh, it's selling it's deriving less revenue over time from it um, sales are down but they still are selling a pile of units and um, yeah I mean this is the lowest revenue I'm looking at the thing this is the lowest revenue in like two years in any quarter for uh, for iPad um, and the uh, the growth is you know negative in terms of revenue. Although part of that is because they introduced cheaper units. Uh, so it's not entirely, I think, a factor of um, people buying fewer. If people are buying the cheaper ones versus the more expensive, that drives the revenue down, even if the unit sales go on. But, but uh, Yeah, you know. I wonder if that'll change this holiday season because um, iOS 9 is having iPad-specific features that might compel some people to upgrade because right now your iPad that you have that you bought maybe two or three years ago works pretty much the same and when the OS has come there's often not a ton of crazy crazy compelling stuff yeah for iPad that you would want you know like that, that you would use all the time so so I mean my iPad still has iOS 5 on it and it hasn't really been a big deal like it still works it still plays Netflix that's what I use it for so that might change but I mean we've heard Tim Cook's kind of iPad speech on so many earnings calls in a row now I feel like I can kind of recite it for you <laughs> but he says that you know that's we're financials we're looking at things 3 months at a time and 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 we think the iPad is you know is still a great product and has a, a bright future and it's it's kind of the the long if you take the long view on the iPad they they're still really happy that's part of their business and i think that i mean with tablets in particular 
um, it's it's kind of the third machine, you know, like you, you got to have a phone, you, you pretty much got to have a computer and a tablet's sort of the third one. So it's a lower priority to keep upgrading. But they, again, have the high end of the market, just like with the computers. Yeah, so, they make a ton of profit off it. Yeah. And there's a lot of competition below them, like the $200 tablets. There's a lot of those um, and, and they don't play in that space. So if that's the segment of the market that's showing the most growth, you know, that's not going to show up in iPad numbers at all. But I think that, the, you know, they're, they're doing smart things with the iPad. This partnership with IBM has yielded a lot of business-specific apps. They say, you know, any job that you used to do with a clipboard and a pen, eventually they want to, you know, replace that clipboard with an iPad. And so they're seeing some some progress there. And then also for the, on the consumer side with the, the stuff coming in iOS 9, that might be a pattern. They might try to highlight, you know, iPad-specific bells and whistles when they upgrade iOS just to, you know, and obviously those things aren't going to go back a million generations because they require a good CPU or a good GPU or whatever's in the newest iPads that makes them be able to do things like split view and picture in picture. So, and the you know iPhone six plus probably drains a little bit of interest from the iPad Mini if you're mm -hmm. upgrading your phone and you had an iPad and you're like, well, I'll just split the difference and do that. And uh, you know, I I. I'm guessing, based on the Mac uh, cycle, like you can use a Mac laptop now for four to eight years. I mean, there are people using 10-year-old Mac laptops without a problem. I know them and I see them around. So that's not, they're not even outliers. There's not, you know, uh, 10 million of them, but there's still millions of people using computers that are, you know, 8, 10, 15 years old. Um, you know, I had a, a 2007 uh, Mac Pro that I used uh, for, the only reason I couldn't keep using it is because it wouldn't run Lion. If it would have run Lion correctly back then, I would have still been using it. Uh, but uh, Chris Finn wrote a thing yesterday that was like a retirement letter for his 2008 Mac MacBook Pro. Yeah. And he had, he had you know, upgraded. He had uh, taken out the optical drive and put in, a, you know, a second SSD and upgraded the, you know, the main boot SSD a couple times. And, and he's like, you know what? It still is fine. I do a lot more in Final Cut now, so it takes a little longer, but I could keep using this. And he decided to upgrade to make his life better, like not because he really needed to. And he got Yeah, the machine didn't retina. fail. Yeah, but, it was it was still fine. And I expect the iPad is on that cycle. Like, I, I wonder if the iPad cycle is, you know, is it four to five years? Because it was introduced in 2010. It's 2015. So if there's a four to five year cycle, most iPads were still sold in the last three, two to three years by quantity, you know, the, mm -hmm. the bulk of them. So they should start seeing it if people really want to, you know, move up from an original iPad. Original iPad wasn't on the market for that long. The iPad 2, uh, what, I still have an iPad 2. That was 2. on the market forever. Yeah. That was the one they kept around and around and around. That's the one that like schools buy. I have one that was, that we bought, that I sold. Gosh, I had this complicated history because, uh, but anyway, I had, I had two but two original iPads, one with cellular and one without because they came out at different times. Right, yeah. I needed to write about both and then sold one. And then I think sold the other to a neighbor who wanted to replace a uh, dial-up modem mail system she had. I sold her an iPad because she had her son-in-law uh, or stepson was going to help her with it. And I'm right next door. And so she switched to an iPad with a keyboard for email. Uh, and so I think she may still be using the original iPad and we've got an iPad too. We got, I got an iPad four as a business gift from, uh, someone I was working with. And, uh, uh, 
that is still the iPad 4 is still fantastic. I have no reason to update it, and I think I got it two years ago. And it yeah, is, that was right before the the Air. Yeah, and it's that's a fantastic a machine. So that's yeah. the you know that's difficult. Like the phone, the phone can always have more battery life. It could have it could be uh, the display changes. Uh, it gets bigger. It has a better camera. Like, and I know they make better cameras and iPads too, but I feel like there's not as much of a compelling reason to... The phone uh, gets beat update. up a little more. You drop the phone. The odds of yeah. dropping a phone versus an iPad and breaking it, I think are like 10 times as well. People, you drop, people drop iPads all the time. Totally get that. But... Uh, yeah. Well, oh, so the other, um, so I mean, we're talking about the iPad a lot because it seems like the weakest area. iPhone sales were great, but the uh, the watch story was interesting. Again, I know this was talked about a lot. This is a little bit for the benefit of people who don't follow it obsessively. And also, we didn't get we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Is uh, it sounds like um, you know Apple doesn't give out uh, watch sales numbers, but it sounds like the consensus is somewhere in the two and a half to four million unit range, probably in the. Three plus range, like centering around there, is very likely, which seems really good for something that requires an iPhone that was early, that um, got some negative early press, and that was supply constrained, and that people had to wait to order until very recently. You have to wait for a substantial amount of time to get one in most cases. Uh, to me, if those numbers are correct, that seems awfully good. Yeah, the business unit that the i that excuse me, the business unit that the Apple Watch is in is called Other Products, and they <laughs> kind of lump it in with um, Beats Electronics, the Beats headphones, and the Beats speakers, and with um, I believe the Apple TV. And so, oh, and like they said, base station or something, right? Like yeah, all the weird, yeah, all the things that are all the other stuff that they sell that's yeah. Apple stuff and Beats stuff. Um, and they said that the other things in that category were actually down a little bit, yet the category was up almost a billion dollars. So hmm, they were kind of I like, and you can't even be. just, you know, <laughs> subtract last quarter's other products from this quarter's because, you know, they, they said those other things went down. So the Apple Watch made up the difference and, you know, almost a billion on top of that. So that's a lot. They wouldn't give actual numbers. They said they didn't want to, um, their competition to know. I'm not really, I don't know why that's a big deal. But um, yeah, it's, it looks good. It looks very good. They threw a little shade on those um, slice intelligence numbers that said that, oh, they sold a lot of them in April and then not so many in May and June. But they were, you know, basing that on the same people who have slice. And it's only online orders. So it was only available online in, in April, and then it became more widely available in stores in June. So Apple said, okay, look, we sold more in June. We sold the most in June. So mm -hmm. it's, it's still on its way up. Um, as it's been available in more channels, they're selling more. And um, I guess there's a, the, it's about to come out in Best Buy. So I, you know, I don't know how that's going to be, if it's, that's going to be a great experience or not. Um, Pebble Time just launched in Best Buy, and somebody tweeted a hilarious oh picture of so the Pebble Time in its little box, and it has that that cage around it, that anti-theft kind of spider web netting, and uh, it, the big plastic thing that holds it together takes up the entire front of the Pebble Time box, so you can't see the watch at all. <laughs> so it, they better not. I mean, you know, I don't think they're going to like put Apple watches in boxes. Just you know, no, out. but they're so valuable. They're going to do something. Yeah, they're going to do something. That's going to be, and you know, is Best Buy going to build? Uh, is going to is it going to have anything like the high touch experience? You're going to go to Best Buy and you say, "I want one of these." They'll be like, "Here you go. You want our terrible service plan? No, you ha you can't leave without it." Like our shopping what? at Best Buy is the worst experience. Oh, it's so much worse than shopping at the Apple Store. Like I don't know if 
Forty-year-old versions, uh, whatever it was supposed to be, that was like a parody of Best Buy or Circuit City. Yeah, and I swear, like that was the most accurate portrayal of what those stores were like um, when they dropped the HD. You know, go if you want to see a documentary about Best Buy, go watch Forty-year-old <laughs> version. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine. I think the experience there is going to be Best Buy is either going to be cheaper or more convenient to you than an Apple store. You're going to walk in, buy the thing, fend off the extended warranty and other garbage, and try to get out of there, and just with a box because you know what you want. Like that's yeah. going to be the experience. I would rather buy it at Target. Or yeah, I would rather buy it from nice. a vending machine than buy it at Best Buy. We like, have some Targets in the Seattle area. They're very, their electronics department really nice. They have people in them, not just mm-hmm. you know displays. And if you want it, they have a bunch of stuff that's locked up because of the whatever. So they have a, they have a a way of dealing with that. And they're not horrible people who work there. Not you know, <laughs> people need jobs, but apparently Best Buy. You know, they kind of focus on people who are sort of commission oriented. Email Glenn. Don't email me. Yeah, yeah. Not, <laughs> our sponsor this week is. Be- oh wait. No, <laughs> uh, but yeah. So the uh, in general, I mean, Apple had a. I think it looks like a great quarter. But I think part of what's interesting is. Uh, China was driving sales. The sales in the Americas were actually uh, the growth. I'm sorry. So this is that funny thing. Like, uh, it's not absolute dollars. It's growth. And that's what stock market analysts look at. And Apple has over $200 billion in cash and short-term investments, right? So they have so much money they don't know what to do with. Literally still in that problem of not being able to invest the money in a way that's more productive than they just can't spend it. They literally can't spend it fast enough to be useful to them. That's one reason of doing stock buybacks. <laughs> And other uh, other work, but uh, so the growth in China was through the roof. It was over a hundred percent the uh, the growth this quarter year over year. And yeah, it said nineteen. Uh, the last two quarters have had seventy five percent growth, but this quarter was more more than double. So the growth in China is actually accelerating. It's now a bigger market than all of Europe in, as far as revenue. Right, and Europe and, and America is the growth, so not absolute sales. So actually, dollars went up regardless, but the growth has uh, went up just a little bit. It's been sort of flat. The amount of growth is sort of in the what was it, like ten or fifteen percent range for Europe, and a little bit less in the Americas because we're a, a maturing market. So there's still every quarter they're selling more stuff. In America, in the Americas, than the quarter uh, than a year before, but they're um, they're not uh, having that angle because we all own stuff, and China they don't. And um, the other thing that was related to that is is uh, 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 Cook pointed out that the you know the Android market is huge. Like they don't deny that there's a there's a billion people with Android devices or something. It, it has huge market dominance. He views that still as an opportunity that all those people are potentially future iPhone buyers or iPad or whatever buyers. And that seems to be reasonable. Even if the market is expanding, you're having some people shift unless they're having a lot of defection, which is not, the numbers don't seem to show a lot of iOS defection, then the defection is going to be from the largest market segment to the smaller one, more likely than the other, unless, as I say, people are dissatisfied. So uh, there's still, I mean, he's like, we don't see a bottom to the upside. I think he said something <laughs> like, like that, that there's um, you know, there's so many people yet who they could sell to, and it's not like they're. I'd also argue, I feel like apps aside, if you're a more casual user, you're not as bought into the ecosystem as um, as you used to be. So it's easier to switch from iOS to Android or vice versa, unless you spend a lot of money on apps. And a lot of apps are very cheap, so even that isn't as much of a deterrence if what you need is available. So uh, that's this is all interesting, I think. So I'm not sure we have anything else to say about the uh, about finances. Do you have any other? Uh, nope. Interesting. It's, it's, <clears throat> it is interesting. It's been fun to watch. Like we don't cover the business end too closely, but we do cover these earnings calls, and it's a uh, it's 
it's it's fun to, to listen to them because you'll have, you know, Tim kind of giving us these nuggets <coughs> of of insight into how Apple, you know, thinks and how they make decisions and the results of those. And then you also get, um, you know, the, Luca talking about foreign currency fluctuations and stuff. So it's <laughs> it's both interesting and then you're just like, wait, wait, I have to filter out all this boring stuff. So Well, there's a deal that could happen too is there's still this talk about repatriating uh, earnings abroad. So I forget, uh, 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 I think Cook put out the number as 80% or something of 86% of Apple's uh, a pro, a, a cash on hand is held yeah, overseas. Yeah, a lot of it's overseas. So there's, you know, there's been talk in Congress about some kind of grand deal, and it might actually happen if they can get. I think they're actually not that far away. All the different sides, where uh, you'd pay like a, there'd be some kind of tax waiver. You pay some one-time fee, and then they change the tax structure. So Apple could bring back tens of billions of dollars here, and it would change. It would, I mean, be it would be interesting. It would be, it'd be tax paid on it, so it'd be as one-time gift to the treasury, uh, but it would also, um, you know, change the issue and there'd be more money here to invest rather than abroad. And who knows? It's yeah. all, uh, all complicated. Let's, uh, let's take a quick break though. And, uh, before we get back to the main action and uh, I want to thank this week's sponsor, Red Hat. Uh, we were just talking about Android, which is based on the Linux operating system. And Red Hat has been one of the foundations of Linux uh, for many years. I remember installing Red Hat Linux uh, back in its very early days um, when it was kind of a, you know, it was trying to sell it as a product uh, when it was free, but you needed support. Well, they they turned themselves over time into almost a, a hidden organization because I don't think people are aware that Every commercial bank in the Fortune 500 relies on Red Hat for its enterprise software. There's every department in the executive branch of the U.S. government, every airline in the Fortune Global 500, they have very quietly become the biggest, best-supported enterprise software company. So unless you're in a data center, a corporate data center, or you know some cloud-run service operation, you may not realize this. And uh, it's worth checking out because over four, 90% of all the companies in the Fortune 500 use Red Hat. They understand the benefit of supported enterprise open source software. Uh, it's you know, they get the benefit of uh, the rapid innovation, the freedom and interoperability that comes with technology that's powered by a community. And then Red Hat puts its own certification and testing, the security uh, enhancement and everything else on top to make sure it works in a data center. Uh, this allows you to be sure you can get all the benefits of open source without the risk of doing it all yourself. No one else can make that promise, much less keep it. So... Visit redhat.com and you can see how they can help your enterprise with application development, storage, and cloud computing. Red Hat, different for the sake of better technology. And uh, thank you for being one of our sponsors, or the sponsor this week. Uh, Susie, um, I know you're excited. This is great news. Currency <laughs> is coming. It's finally coming. Hooray! That's right. <laughs> I uh, put this in the notes as uh, our favorite payment system that is doomed to fail is finally starting to roll out. Currency. Yep. I mean, so the the headline if on the news is that currency might come out soon. <laughs> so oh, you know, maybe glory. not so soon, or maybe not. Um, it sounds like you know they they still want to do it, and they're they're going to do it. Um, Speaking of Best Buy. And Best Buy, yeah, Target, yeah, speaking Walmart. of Best Buy, and they better hurry up because I guess retailers had to sign a three-year agreement to exclusively use currency, 
And that agreement expires next month, um, which is also when currency might come out because it's taken them sort of forever to get this thing going. Um, And Best Buy has already announced plans to support Apple Pay when it does. So, yeah, Best Buy and Apple. So, okay, if Best Buy is going to support Apple Pay, Apple is going to sell the watch at Best Buy. Uh Best Buy, like, it can't be around for much longer, can it? I mean, like, they can't be making any money. I feel like they're not making any money. I feel like they're companies that— Maybe Apple—they'll go down. Apple will buy them. And then all the Best Buys will become Apple stores. No, I I have a feeling— There are companies that exist, especially retail, that exist entirely because people haven't realized that they're— spending too much money there that they could get stuff elsewhere for less and i think you know i don't want amazon to kill every store in america there's i want them i want small stores and independent stores and small chains and competitors to exist but i do want amazon to kill best buy (laughs) because there's no advantage customers get no advantage except it's a it's a warehouse you can go and look at stuff and and amazon there's no radio shack i mean if you need a cable and it's it's true but you know amazon i think amazon should go into retail and there's apparently there's uh, some rumors going on there's some little uh, reporting here in seattle that uh, they're going to open some grocery stores to test out grocery sales we have plenty of grocery stores i need a place to buy cables i know i want i want i want amazon shack uh but you know, we yeah, they could fun sell of, those Amazon Basics. There was a rumor they were going to take oh, over Radio man, Shack. That'd be and so sell good. I, I order. I mean, of all the things I order from Amazon, like you know, I'd rather order more stuff from local stores. And there's some work going on in that front. We've talked about in previous podcast episodes, but uh, the Amazon Basics. Uh, hey, so uh, currency. By the way, it's current capital C. And the reason we make fun of it is, um, <laughs> is it uses a QR code for part of the transaction. You have to like register. You have to give them your. Um, you have to give them your bank account. You have to set all this up. Then once you set it up, you. Don't like tap and pay, but you have to like scan. You have to. They present a thing in a point of sale you open system. Open the currency app. You open you it. Put in your passcode. <sighs> you press pay. You scan the pay code or show it to the cashier code. to scan. Oh. Yeah, they give you a QR code, which Jeez. is a pay, like a pay code, which is a QR kind of code. Yeah. So okay, open the app. Put in your password. Press pay. It generates this QR code. You show that to the cashier. They scan it. Then you select which account you want to use. Then oh, you tap pay now. It is not so. Going it's to, like a six-step process. It is not going anywhere. And you know you can see this. Like I've, I'm in the middle of uh, researching. And they did a story. all that to get around having to use NFC, but they're saying that they're going to implement NFC. You know later, later eventually. Well, they bypassed so, NFC because it wasn't present in enough phones. But when they were developing this, and the other part is they didn't want to get tied in the credit card infrastructure. The whole point of this is to bypass credit card fees and do direct bank transactions, but credit cards protect consumers against bank transaction issues because you have so fewer protection when you're doing direct debit transactions, especially in this fashion, than with credit cards. I'm like, I don't want fewer protections. I want more protections against retailers because I don't trust retailers. Yeah, they want to know all of your your data, and Apple's like, we don't care where you shopped or what you bought. Like, that's between... You and your bank and your your lord. We just want to um, we <laughs> just want to help you make the transaction a little easier. But that's coming. I mean, Apple Pay is now going to be incorporating in the near future affinity cards and other stuff. So you'll be able to opt in to you know a frequent buyer program or a mileage program or whatever, and be able to use Apple Pay with that, which was kind of one of the missing pieces. Uh, but I don't think it's prevented adoption of Apple Pay at all. But it'll be a nice add-on. And you know, I pay with I sometimes. You know, I, if you don't have to carry a separate car, uh, companies, uh, retailers will get much more participation if people can have an electronic version. I've been using the Starbucks app for years now, and I'm not yeah. even that much of a Starbucks user. A visitor. Every 12 coffees, you get a free coffee. It's true. Yes, that's right. It's uh, For and some an, people, that's a week. And another one on your birthday. 
Yeah, that's, so, that's just nice. But it's worth using the app, and the app added, uh, uh, you know, being able to tip in the app, and you know, a couple of years yeah. ago, and um, but so I, you know, I wanted to bring something up because I've been researching a story for another fine publication. I write for other fine publications about. Uh, I was looking at this whole uh, chip in sign thing, and I've talked about this in other mm-hmm. podcasts. So I won't, I won't repeat myself for regular listeners, but you know, th- we have so right now we have this huge payment explosion happening. We have Apple Pay. We're going to have Android Pay, which is backed by the banks that used to back. um, I mean, they used to resist. They were resisting Google Wallet. And then the banks or the uh, issue is essentially have taken over the payment system, right? I mean, Android's thing they're going to roll out is going to have participation. It's going to be like Apple Pay. And then you have Samsung Pay is coming as well. And then you have, uh, you know, NFC suddenly. So not just near-field communication, tap-to-pay from mobile devices, but it also is present in some credit cards, although I, I can tell you more about that. And then we have, uh, you know, currency trying to come in the middle of that. Oh, and then, I'm sorry, then we have EMV, which is the chip in a chip and sign or chip and pay card. It's an electronic chip that does something similar, but not exactly the same as Apple Pay style transactions. It uses cryptography to generate a transaction code to verify that the card is not fraudulent, right? That's a legitimate card you have in place. And while those can be duplicated and broken, it's a very, very much lower rate of fraud when you have a card present that has a chip in it, an EMV chip, than otherwise. And so in the middle of that, currency is trying to bring in its Rube Goldberg machine. And uh, and I'm like, you know, I don't think... Uh, so, you know, in in other countries, the, the rollout's been different. Um, so here, like in Europe, I know that some uh, banks decided to issue EMV cards that also have NFC. So you have the the payment tap thing. You don't have to swipe or dip or anything like that. You tap the card and for transactions under a certain amount, you don't have to sign. And in America, the banks have pretty much decided that NFC isn't interesting because mobile pay is here and they would have to implement NFC and deal with it. But because Apple and the rest are taking such a tiny, tiny transaction fee to facilitate this, uh, it, it, doesn't sound like it's cost effective for banks to stick NFC into credit cards. They'd rather keep issuing the credit cards and not have to deal with that part. So that's another, it's so all this together. I'm like, where does currency fit into this much more sophisticated, cryptographically protected, seamless operation that's all rolling out and the merchants are dealing with at once. And it's like, and there's this other thing that's kind of crummy. Yeah, it's not, it's going to be a worse experience, but if it works on every phone, maybe it'll see some adoption there. I don't know. Like if the if the loyalty stuff is really really great, I it's, it really seems like it's doomed to fail. But you know, I've been wrong before. I think Apple Pay. <laughs> Dan Morin wrote a great column about Apple Pay and um, uh, just you know how optimistic he is about that. Between Square rolling out their Apple Pay reader, which we did a fun video about. And that's going to be able to, you know, put Apple Pay in all kinds of really tiny stores. Because right now it's mostly big chains and I don't shop at big chains that much. At least I try not to. So and, and then he's also really excited about um, how you can use it in, in trans- public transportation in London. Oh, so yeah. Dan, we have this Dan thing. lives in Boston and he's like, get, get that here like yesterday. I want it. The, so. the question some people have is that the uh, London transport system apparently can track you. Even if you use Apple Pay, they can associate it with your account. And there's been some questions about how they do that since the transactions are supposed to be uh, anonymous when you just use it as a single transaction. And um, so that's funny. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, in the, a lot of systems now have stored value cards that allow 
allow free transfer. So in uh, the Seattle area, we have a thing called the Orca card because we like Orca whales here. Uh, and it's a, you know, the online regional card or I don't know what it stands for. Oh, okay. Uh, but it's a, it's a NFC card and, uh, or an RFID card rather. I'm not sure. Yeah, I have one of those for our system too. I guess it's the same. I'm not sure if it's the same thing. I think NFC is a technology and RFID is a, is a kind of identifying thing, whatever. So someone will perhaps tell us what the difference, or I'll look it up later. Anyway, so it's a, but it's a tap card and, uh, you, they used to allow paper transfers between different modalities. So we have light rail, we have, um, street cars mm -hmm. now, um, that are more coming and we have buses and we have ferries and whatever. And they said, okay, we're done with that. Um, start, they had a phase in it over a few years. They said the Orca card is the only way to uh, do intramodal transfers. Otherwise, you're going to have to pay multiple times. They'd say, like, look, you can pay, and it's going to be like $750. Do you tap with your card? It's like $250. So they were trying to drive adoption because it reduces costs so much for them yeah. to be able to do it all electronically. And it's all prepaid, and it's just less, it, it speeds people getting on, to, on and off faster. Uh, and then they started doing what's wonderful is a low income program. They started uh, pushing out. Orca cards, which makes it again, it's like instead of giving people credits and coupons and crud, they're just giving them a card if they meet the requirements and they can tap the darn thing without having to ask for a special rate. It be, takes the shame away from have, you know needing help and all terrific, right? So I'm wondering, can Apple pay? Then that's sort of what Dan was talking about a bit. Could Apple pay stand for that? Where not only do I pay with it, but it lets me do things like intermodal transfer because I can if I you know opt in, it could track me across the system that would be nice yeah it sounds like the, it sounds like it could i mean uh, as our software guys like to say it's software you can do anything it's just <laughs> you know the the compromises involved and the, the time it takes to do it and the costs and everything so yeah that sounds like a great solution um yeah because it, it is a little different than how apple pay works now it's just like you, you make this trend it gives you a different number for every transaction but in in our system yeah i, I use a um, I, I know this is how transport for London, the London Underground works, and it's how our um, our BART system works here. Is you you tap in at one station, and that just tells them like I'm entering this station, and then you tap out at your destination, and that tells you how far. That tells the system how far you've gone, yeah. and then they charge you based on how far you've gone. So you're you're not paying at the beginning; you're paying at the end. So, but it has to know who you were at the beginning, and you're the same person at the end, so it knows how to charge you. So that's just like a workaround they have to do but it sounds like you know they they've done it in london um i i we have uh, macworld uk wrote about it a little bit and they said yeah people were i mean there's there's still a few little kinks to work out like what if my phone dies halfway yeah. through the trip and and just little kind of edge cases like that but it sounds like they've they figured it out and software can do anything so yay it's um good. i i would love it if if I could use um, use my my phone to to pay here because yeah we have one card that that uh, serves multiple transit um, systems. There's like AC Transit and BART and Muni and Caltrain, and you can use the same card on all of them. Oh, yeah, and, and, and the ferries. The watch support is great because that's particularly nice when you don't have to when you can just kind of like you know got stuff in your arm. Yeah, you, you got move stuff. And yeah, I, I take the ferry with my son, so I have his stuff and holding him, and he's running around screaming about the boats and the ferry. Yeah, it would it would be great. It's, oh, the uh, ferry is so much fun. I we take ferries. the ferry just for the heck of it. I don't commute on the ferry, but it's like, you know, boat ride around the bay. It's great. We got ferries up here. Washington State Ferry System has uh, constitutes uh, over 50% of all ferry rides in the United States. Wow. And one route alone is 25% of all ferry rides in the United States by passenger loadings. These are the things you got to know. If you live in Seattle, you're forced to memorize these facts. But uh, 
Seattle's so cool. It's great. It's a great town. Oh, you know, I want to talk about the Square Reader for a moment because uh, I just uh, actually talked before this other article. I talked to the company about uh, the rollout because uh, you know it's a lot for a small merchant to deal with. This is going to sound like an advertisement. This is not. They're not a sponsor. I'm not advertising their product. I just I like Square's it's just approach. Really cool. <laughs> it's well, it's very merchant focused. So you can say you know, there's companies where you're like. Okay, they're predatory. Those companies say like, well, they have their own business model. In you know, like Uber has a predatory model towards drivers. I'll say it. That's my view, not Macworld's. I would agree with that. And uh, and uh, there's other companies who are like, well, it's sort of neutral. Like, what does Apple do? Well, Apple is a huge consumer benefit, but boy, they make a lot of profit. They have a huge margin, so they're not screwing us. But they, you know, they're making money off us, and we appreciate it because we get, we believe, we get productivity or enjoyment out of that. Square is a weird case. Um, it's a little bit like Kickstarter for me where, yes, they're making money, no doubt. Their model is to make money. But what they're offering is so much better than what the alternatives are. You're like, okay, that's fine. You go and make all the money. Like Kickstarter, you go and make as much money as you want to because you're enabling new things. And I've got mm-hmm. a, I've had a Square reader, the swipe type, for years. And I've had to go through a couple. And they upgraded the technology at one point and said, okay, you got to get a new unit, which was free. I think I got to send something and they sent me a new one. And the new thing is going to be like this small block that'll be battery powered, uh, USB charge. You charge it overnight. It'll have a full day, the antenna, it's a full day charge for heavy usage in a store or wherever using it. Uses Bluetooth to communicate with an iOS or Android device. And uh, um, although I think they've focused on Apple Pay, but I confirmed does any kind of NFC payment system. And it's got a EMV chip reader. So like every kind of technology that's coming all in one. So you're a small merchant. October 1st comes around in the United States and you are suddenly liable for any swiped credit card transaction. So if that, you, that turns out to be fraudulent, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, yeah. It's, now it's the banks taking all the risk and they're, they're starting to pass that on to the, to the merchants. And the idea is that we all have to upgrade to these chip things, which will be more secure and then that'll be good. So yeah, the, this is, this seems like the solution, like the, you know, and Square has pretty competitive um, transaction rates and yeah, yeah whoever whoever pay. Square competes with that makes like point of sale systems for small businesses, they should be very scared because this thing looks really cool. Oh yeah, like, and it's very elegant and it's like it's and it's you know they're going to charge forty nine dollars for it, but then they'll well actually they're going to send out two hundred fifty thousand for free, ostensibly to high volume small merchants. And then it's 49 bucks can be pre-ordered now. I bought one because I want to test it out and they rebate the $49 in the form in the form of rebated fees as you use it. So you pay 49 bucks if you never, you know, it's, it might take you a long time to have $49 in fees you're paying square, but, but that's essentially your fees are free until it's um, repaid because they want to get everyone over. But uh, I just think it's, uh, I think it's a neat idea. And it also, it lets, this kind of thing lets a small merchant compete on the same basis that, uh, that big merchants can because they'll have this fancy anti-fraud technology. Um, yeah, I can't. I can't wait until it's on all the the food trucks. It's gonna be so confusing. <laughs> they have the though. little sliders <clears throat> now, so it works really well. And, and but it and they're a lot faster than they used to be. It used to be like, oh yeah, you can use your card here, but you're holding up the line. It's oh no, but you can minutes. tap it. They can stick. It's, they'll have to stick it somewhere. Yeah, because you, you'll the be able NFC to, one. You just tap. You can tap your phone or your watch, and then you'll have to with a dip. Where Americans are going to have to learn about this. We'll have to have one of our European colleagues on to talk about dipping cards, because and there's Chris also Finn. We'll, we'll get Chris Finn on to do that. Oh, too. excellent. So because yeah. you can have if you have a credit card with a chip in it, you have to dip 
chip it. So either I just sl- got one. Yeah. Oh, I have. They just have, sent me my new debit card as a chip in it. I have a bunch. So yeah, debit transactions in America will remain the same in the sense that you'll take the card instead of swiping, you'll chip push it pin. in because it has to yeah. make a it has to make a uh, contact with the chip, and then it uh, does a transaction. You'll punch in your pin. In America, almost every credit card, pretty much every credit card from all the major banks, will be signature. So you'll dip the card in and you'll sign as if it were as if you'd swiped. So there won't be a pin associated in Europe. It's mostly chip and pin, but two thirds of the world has adopted chip and signature because it turned out that asking for a pin did not ultimately reduce the fraud rate very much. The biggest mm-hmm. issue was stolen cards, not um, uh, or the biggest issue. I'm sorry is. Uh, 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 was they've, thieves have worked their way around pin issues, so that rate went back up. It went down and then back up. But counterfeit cards were the biggest issues. So stolen cards are sort of a different category. And so in America, there's so much more of a competitive uh, market to get people to sign up for credit cards. And because people here aren't used to entering pins for credit cards uh, or most yeah. transactions, they, the credit card issue has decided that they would you know take the slight difference. Um, and, uh, and like I that. figured it was a mental thing. Like people here say like pin is debit and sign is credit. And that was just too big of a hurdle to get over at once. It like, just turns out there's just <laughs> and not maybe enough in fraud. a few years they'd sort of like back it into like, okay, now like chip and sign is, is going to evolve That's... into chip and pin. But we're going to start it with chip and sign because you guys can only handle so much change. No, I, I thought it time. was that too. And I, I've talked to an analyst and I've been doing some reading on this and it's uh, chip and pin initially in like the early 2000s it fraud rate went way down for stolen cards and then went back up because thieves people write their pin in their their um their, wa- oh, they their just wallet write it on the back yeah, somewhere so, or there's other you know there's, and there's workarounds there's ways to crack stuff and whatever so the rate started climbing back up and it's apparently higher now i think the number is higher now than before they went to chip and pin but the counterfeit rate is very very low it's some substantial reduction so america right now has twice the card presentation fraud rate of uh, Europe or the rest of the world, I think it is, because we're the last one. So all the credit card fraud now comes here. So it'll mean billions of dollars in savings. But also for us as individuals, it'll mean having to replace our card fewer times. What I'm wondering is when does Square or our banks or whomever send us a Bluetooth or USB attached EMV reader for our home? Or we use, um, I mean, because I'm wondering, this is the thing, like the p- missing piece for me is I'm doing an online transaction and I'm like punching my credit card in. I'm like, oh, let me yeah. pay with Apple Pay. Let me pay with Apple Pay to an arbitrary website I go or any kind of online payment thing where I'm using my phone to confirm the transaction. So even if it's an app on my phone rather than NFC or something, I go to the site, I say, says, how are you paying? I say, I'm paying with Apple Pay or I'm paying with Amex app. I tap it and it's like, great, you'll see a code on your phone now that's been registered to your Amex account. Uh, Confirm that code. And if that's okay, tap okay and then enter the last two digits here and your transaction will be complete. I'd love something. Yeah, I mean, something I'm sure. I mean, that was verified by Visa was an attempt to do that where you set a password with your Visa account and then you'd have to enter it. Or do you remember when you could create uh, unique credit cards for each transaction? Yes. That system. So all those things were like app specific passwords, but for your credit cards. So yeah. I mean, you know, like one hundredth of one percent oh. of nerds would be like, yeah, or I'm just give me two factor. Me up. Get, send me an SMS. Yeah. So I go online, I buy something. It's like 
great. You'll get an SMS in three seconds, you know, enter it or tap here if you didn't receive it. It says 5379, a punch in 5379. It's like, great, we've confirmed you're the legitimate cargo. I'm like, why can't we have that? This is this is the madness of the banking system is that we're still living in the past. Yeah, I pay for when I make online purchases. Like sometimes even if, if PayPal is a choice, I'll pay with PayPal. And it's it's partially because then I don't have oh, to type in my address. But It's more secure. Yeah, but if, if Apple Pay could kind of fold in that that sort of PayPal trick that would be that would be great cuz I, I use it in apps frontier. all the time I've I've bought tickets on Ticketmaster and and yeah I I I definitely use Apple Pay whenever I can and it's great in apps They should just I, I figure the banks should develop a system and give us an incentive cuz they're going to save huge amounts of money in fraud which we pay for in the terms of you know interest rates and other stuff now or annual fees like like you know give us a f- don't charge us an annual fee if we decide to opt in this and use it for all our transactions or give us a 1% cash rebate or or whatever give us an incentive and people would use it like mad and then there'd be ever fewer people doing cuz you know what's going to happen once EMV rolls out here and most people are doing either NFC-based mobile pay or everyone else is doing EMV and that winds up being 80, 90% of in-person transactions, all the fraud's going to go online. That's where it's, so it's even going to be more intensively online than it is today because in-person fraud will become much more difficult to pull off. It's the weak spot. Uh, before we finish, we had a couple uh, Google related points. Uh, so Google Plus got a demotion, Susie. Google Plus is Google Minus. <laughs> Some people are angry about this. Well, so it's sort of Google undoing a thing about Google Plus that was annoying people before. Like people liked having one sign in to all of their Google things, but then Google Plus was like, okay, now your Google Plus identity is tied to everything else you do. So if you make a YouTube comment, that's, you know, your Google Plus account. And um, I, th- I know YouTube was the, was the big hassle. There might have been another one too. So they're, they're just kind of uncoupling that. And they've already spun out things like Hangouts and Photos as their own services. So you don't have to feel like, you know, you have this Google Plus account that you don't really know what to do with. Um, but you have to have to, to use all these other Google things. So they're just kind of pulling them apart. So it'll still be around, it seems like, but it just won't. It's not really like the the hub of your whole Google life anymore, um, which is good because so, just it was hard to have an identity that wasn't Google Plus, right? That was kind of like as you right. say is like you yeah. just you were kind of forced into it. Yeah, I remember they sort of they didn't opt everyone in, but then it's like you're it, it exposes your identity in ways that you weren't expecting to. I know people talked about having their actual name or something else or like things hooked up that they didn't realize. So they did a thing like a YouTube comment, but also lots of other stuff. You know, they'd post something, they do something and they're like, oh my goodness, it's all linked back to every other part of my identity online. When you search on me, I do not want that. Yes. Um, so Flo, who is the staff writer over at Greenbot, wrote um, a thing that we put on all the sites and she had kind of, you know, some personal reflections on, on Google+. And for her, it's still going to be relevant because she covers Google in the Android community. So there was a joke for a while that only Google employees used Google Plus. But that's actually really good for for some people because, I mean, could you imagine like some of the the big Apple communities like the Mac Rumors forums or whatever that have a lot of community and a lot of traffic, a lot of people giving each other advice. And there were actual Android, like Apple engineers on there, like answering questions and posting little blog posts and, and you know, like you, you could plus one on, on that stuff. And it, it, that exists for, for Google and the Android community and it's Google Plus. So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like the, the, the 
the 98 pound weakling in the social media beach that we can all kick sand on. But, but, it, but it's got, it's got some cool values. Um, and I, I really liked the, the photos thing. I'm glad that that's its own function because, um, they were doing online photos. I thought better than anybody. So it's, it's cool that you don't have to, to feel like, cause I, yeah, I have a Google plus thing and, and we post Macworld stories to Google plus and, and none of it really like goes anywhere. Cause that's not where our community is. It's, I know it's the weirdest thing. It's like, you remember Orkut, which was Google's first, yep. uh, it was like a, and like Orkut became huge in, in Brazil. Brazil. Yeah. Yep. That's what I was, whatever. <laughs> but it's like, it's weird where things catch fire. So I know for some people, Google plus like, Oh my God, this is the place I've had the best discussions in my life. Occasionally I'll jump, I'll jump in there. I'll find some thread or I'll search around and I'll find like an incredibly interesting 150 comment thread in which everyone yeah. is civil and it's all it's linked. their real names. And, and I know when I'm, you're like, oh my gosh, this could be the greatest Infinitely searchable because it's Google. Yeah, but <laughs> it's it so easy to find things. It didn't ignite quite right and I don't mm-hmm. know why because in some ways it is superior to Facebook but there's something about it that just doesn't gel for everybody. So, you know, our, uh, uh, my friend Christina Warren at Mashable, she <laughs> wrote something. I haven't even read the things she wrote. I only saw the response. Some guy gave her enormous crap and called her a professional troll because she was talking about how Google Plus is sort of, you know, not, I guess not dead, but it's sort of, uh, it's not going to be what it was because they're de-emphasizing it. And it was criticizing her because she only had a million follows. <laughs> As a woman with a million followers, she, you know, people just aren't paying attention to her because she was on the suggested user list. Like, oh uh, yeah, that's right. No, she certainly does not have the experience to understand what's going on there. But it, I think it really works for some people. Facebook, I think, works for a large number of people. Twitter works for a large number of people. Google Plus is a niche Social network, I don't know why. It seemed more like LinkedIn to me than like Facebook. Like it's kind of set up like Facebook. They want you to, you know, share your photos and, and like talk about your life. But but it seems like it's more conversations about, I mean, maybe it, any social network is the people you follow. But it seems like the people who are getting the most out of it are, are talking about like technology and and work kind of stuff. So it, it, it reminds me more of LinkedIn than it does of of Facebook only it's you know like minus all the annoying junk about LinkedIn. Yeah, it's uh it's I think it doesn't feel as private. There's something about it that makes me not want to post personal things on it. The it way has I really would on good instruction like um Facebook totally copied its whole like scheme about how you send <laughs> you know you have like sort of circles and you can set the visibility of each individual item. Uh one other Google story was uh, as we close out this week's show is uh, Apple kicks the bird out of the nest or kicks the nest out of the bird or something like that. They're not going to sell the uh, nest Google the Google owned nest. I'm surprised it took that stores. long. Yeah, well, I mean the HomeKit right. We're waiting for HomeKit now. It's selling with the EcoBee three, mm-hmm. whatever it's called, the EcoBee uh, system we've talked about in the past. You are a HomeKit aficionado, so. Uh, um, yeah, this is one of the last Google products that's probably had anything close to do with Apple. Yeah. Um, I mean, so the Nest has its own uh, kind of ecosystem. There's the Works with Nest program. So that sort of directly competes with HomeKit. So it's not really super surprising. I'm, I'm a little surprised it took this long. But it was very popular. You know, it was founded by Tony Fidel, and he used to be at Apple. So it's, it's it, it looks like it belongs in the Apple Store, and it's it's a great product. But, yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're kind of on a collision course. So... Did you see so, the uh, the diss? Uh, John Gruber linked to this. I didn't read the. Uh, I didn't look at the original story, but uh, Tony Fidel was interviewed by the BBC, and um, 
said, uh, tellingly, Mr. Fidel reveals he recently started testing Sir Jonathan's latest product, the Apple Watch, although he was not wearing it at the time of the interview. Quote, I've had mine for about two weeks now. I think they did a tremendous job on the hardware components of it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) They're trying many different things with that platform. Some are going to be great and some are not. I thought it was an excellent diss. And that's sort of what I've, you know, I think that's been my comment all along. Uh, I don't like the software as much as the hardware. The hardware is fantastic. And the software, I'm waiting for it to to get there. So that's... uh, that's I just some also good like, shade. He, he wasn't That's a weird. good example of throwing shade, just so everyone knows. And he um, loves watches. Fidel is a huge watch fan, and he wasn't wearing it at the time of the interview because yeah. he's on brand there. Well, and Gruber's point points out his his contribution is consider the difference between I think they did a tremendous job versus I think they did a tremendous job on the hardware. <laughs> so yeah, that's a that's a good example. That's a, a good example of throwing shade, um, which is when you say something that you know could be taken as a nice thing, but is really kind of an insult if you think about it more. Um, so yeah, that, that, there's a hilarious column on Jezebel that everyone should read. It's called Shade Court. It's written <laughs> by Kara Brown, and every week she picks up some examples um, of oh when the, the term throwing shade has been misused. So there'll be like a Twitter fight between Kylie Jenner and, and, and Black China, and someone will say like, oh, they're, they're throwing shade at each other. Like, you know, there'll be a, an article on Entertainment Weekly or something accusing them of throwing shade, and Kara says, nope, that's not shade. Like she'll, she'll adjudicate every case and be like, this is shade, this is not shade. What we have here is a very, very, very good example of throwing shade. It is. So that, good job, that, Tony. It's, it's, it's backhanded. It's not mm-hmm. overt, and it burns. It yeah. burns. Yeah, and it's and you also you have to and it's I think the best shade being thrown is when uh, you have to acknowledge at least some of the truth, if not all of the truth, of that shade. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I only learned the term a couple of years ago, and I'm surprised. It's like Schadenfreude, it's like a necessary uh, word in the in the arsenal of ways to describe which people talk about other people. You need Schadenfreude. Well, so reading Shade Court had had really. Uh, educated me on shade. And then I, as an editor, was editing um, something about the Taylor Swift Apple Music thing. And one of my writers had said, you know, over the weekend, like Taylor Swift threw some shade at Apple Music. And I was like, nope. What would Kara say? She would say, that's not shade. That's not shade. Not that shade. Was doesn't count as shade. That, that, was, was... that was very overt. She came right out and said it. Like, that's not. And she was really nice about it, which is part, can be part of throwing shade. But so I edited it out of the thing because it was not accurate. And then I tweeted at Kara like, hey, I thank you for telling me what shade is and is not. And I understand now. And I just edited a misuse out of a thing. She was like, that was my goal all along. So thank you, Kara Brown, for changing the world. And thank you, Tony Fidel, for throwing some awesome shade on the Apple Watch. You know, if you can buy Schadenfreude and shade, you could have Schadenfreude. <laughs> Schadenfreude, oh, that's got to come next. That's like find... the appreciation of like such fine Oh, yeah, that's how I feel. Thrown. Right, when you see good right. shade being thrown, it's Schadenfreude. Yes, you're like, oh, Schadenfreude. Nice. We'll, be tweeting that, we'll be tweeting that after this recording. Yep, yep. Uh, and, Copyright uh, 2015. Well, we have things. That, uh, we had more things to talk about this week than we thought. We've got, uh, uh, next week, I think we'll... Uh, we'll you got to go get your haircut. I got my haircut. We're going to dive into uh, Apple Music issues uh, next week, I think, because oh we're, boy. St- we're still waiting for it to shake out. There was a lot of Jim Dalrymple news the send last couple Send us your weeks. Apple Music questions. Yeah, send Apple gonna Music questions. It's going to take us a while. I don't understand. I don't understand <laughs> it's it. So, so it's so like, confusing. you know, the questions I get, I don't get a Mac 911. I'm still getting tons of photos questions. Yeah, like uh, I don't two get months Apple later music. or something. What's that? The... Uh, like- yeah, the photos questions keep rolling in. Oh, yeah, crazy numbers of photos questions. But we're still waiting. Uh, we're, we're, Apple Music is so confusing. So we'll try to maybe explain the difference between iTunes Match, iCloud Music Library, Apple Music, and more. And what happened? What happened to our friend Jim Dalrymple? 
on the next episode of Macro Podcast. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So you can read up on his on what happened to him, but we're going to try to talk through that a bit because we, you know, we're not even uh, what are we a month into the trial now? And I had some problems with fish. I know you all really care a lot about that. So is that pH fish or f fish? Yeah, fish. 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 Yeah. Uh, we'll have to get John Seth back to talk about, <laughs> talk about that. Unfortunately, he can't. He works. Uh, he Girls works can talk about fish too. Fruit company. No, I was thinking he's yes. Well, I was just thinking. No, uh, he loves fish. We talk about fish every time we see each other. He's got it. I got. This, I've got a picture of his ticket stubs. Uh, so well, we'll talk about that and more on the next episode. Susie, great to talk to you as always. Thank you. You too. And thank you to Red Hat for being our sponsor this week. And folks, this has been the Macworld Podcast, episode four hundred and sixty-seven for July 29th. 2015, and I have been and always remain Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and we'll be happy to be talking to you again next week. Send us your questions. You can comment on the site on this podcast posting. You can tweet at us on Twitter, and you can send email to podcast at macworld.com, and we'll try to answer questions you have about Apple Music and more. Thanks, folks, and talk to you next week. Bye.